I can't make more time. So I would trade money for time every single day of the week and twice on Sundays. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to cheap out and save money if it'll save me time. I would pay somebody to take my dry cleaning to the dry cleaners and do my grocery shopping and do all of that stuff if it meant that I made two extra phone calls a day that made me an extra $1,500 a week. Welcome to the Creative Solutions Podcast. On the show, it's my job to tease out the creative solutions my guests are coming up with to change the world through creativity, social action, and mindset. I also give you tips and techniques so you can do the same. This episode is brought to you by my class, Meditation for Busy People, where you'll learn how to relieve stress and discover clarity and joy in just five minutes a day. It's also brought to you by the Brain FM app and this podcast host, Podbean. Also, follow the podcast on Instagram or TikTok and check out our shop for merch, music, and musings. The links are all in the show notes. Hey there, this is Isolde with a special announcement. I know that you're excited about this week's guest. I am too, but you need to hear this before we get into the episode. While Eric Henning teaches general principles of money and does individual business coaching, he cannot and does not provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Please consult a professional licensed in your place of residence for specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Hey there, and welcome to the Creative Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Isolde Trachtenberg. Incredibly excited to have you here because I'm incredibly excited for this week's guest, let me tell you about Eric Henning. Eric Henning is a master communicator who has a unique background and perspective as a financial expert, diplomat, and magician. He's been on the show before, but that was a long time ago. So I'm really excited, especially right now, to bring you Eric and to get his perspective on what it's like to be a creative or a performer facing the end of the year. You've probably had a super busy December and now you're facing 2024 and going, okay, what now? But let me tell you a little bit more about Eric. Eric is an internationally recognized financial expert spending more than two decades as an investment advisor working with wealthy clients and teaching about money on radio and in his investment newsletter. He's also a diplomat. The U.S. government designated Eric as an expert speaker on capital formation and small business development and sent him overseas to promote entrepreneurship. And if that weren't enough, Eric is an award-winning sleight-of-hand magician and currently co-produces the perpetually sold-out Washington Magic Show. I've been to it. If you're in the D.C. area or you're visiting, go to this show. It's amazing. With three presidential inaugurals and five White Houses of White Houses? <laughs> White House appearances. Eric's earned the nickname The Wizard of Washington. Please welcome Eric Henning. Eric, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Boy, this guy sounds good. I hope he has <laughs> something interesting to say. Oh, I am sure he does. So right before we started recording, and I know, but let's preface all of this to say, you, if you're listening to this, you heard the beginning that says, Anything that Eric says that is advice is going to be very specific kind of advice, not individual financial advice or anything like that. So before right, we go general. any further, it's general, but also there's a lot of best practices. And I really, I'm so excited to have you back here and talking about this because a lot of creatives, a lot of artists and performers think about the performing part of what they do and don't often remember that what they do is a business. And I would love to chat with you right off the bat. 
Talk to me about that. Talk to me about the business side of performing and why it's so important for anyone who's a creative or a performing artist of any kind to remember that and to invest in it. Well, it's, you know, there's a lot of cliches. It's show business. Business has twice as many letters as show, so you probably should spend <laughs> twice as much time on it. Um, and without the show, there's no business. And without the business, there's no show. Now, I come to this from a perspective of being a performer. I'm not a, <clears throat> uh, a graphic artist or a fine artist. Uh, but this doesn't just apply to creatives either. I mean, in my uh, decades in the financial business, believe me, I, I found everybody from creatives to actual you know, Ivy League PhD international economists didn't know how to handle their personal finances hmm. or to manage money properly. I mean, when you've got people who are making policy for entire nations and don't know how to balance their checkbook, that's pretty disturbing. So what I found um, kind of my niche in that business was I would educate people because there's a lot of territory between where most people are and where they need to be to sit down with a tax, legal, or investment advisor. So that's the territory I cover. And um, this is what they call a newsletter exception or educational exception. I don't have to be licensed. I'm not selling anything. You can put away your checkbooks. Um, but I can talk about general principles. And what I find is that there are a lot of artists and a lot of creatives mm -hmm. who find themselves generating a, a certain amount of income. And they say, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I could do this full time? And, and it frequently would be. I have to say right off the bat, the best way to be an artist, the way it's set up in our culture, um, is to have a full-time job and do art on the side. To have all of your, your rent paid for, have your benefits, you know, your basic need, financial needs met with a nine-to-five job, and then spend evenings or weekends doing your art. Um, there's some cultural reasons for that, and we can do a whole other podcast just on you know, the prejudice against artists and, and that sort of thing mm -hmm. and the perception of artists as people just doing something for fun. But the fact of the matter is that when COVID hit and we were all locked down, the first thing people did was start streaming uh, entertainment. So entertainment and art in general, beauty is as necessary to human life as air and food and water. It's absolutely crucial. If you don't give somebody... Uh, something to, to uh, uh, in for them to enjoy aesthetically, they're going to go nuts. You know, you put somebody in a blank cell, they're going to start trying to find patterns in the cracks in the plaster. That's just the way we are. Man is the pattern recognizing animal. And so we need art. We need beauty in our lives. So th the first thing we need to understand is that art is not a luxury. Art is actually a necessity. For sure. Um, the second thing we need to realize, and I'm sure I'm going over some well-tilled ground with your audience here. Second thing we need to realize is that we need to understand what exactly we're selling. Um, and a lot of times creatives don't understand exactly what they're selling. For example, let me tell you a story about this. I was in Virginia Beach on vacation one year, and they have a festival in Virginia Beach the weekend after Labor Day called the Neptune Festival, which is a huge, one of the biggest arts festivals on the East Coast. And uh, it's all down, up and down the boardwalk, and they have piers filled with booths with artists. And I saw this one lady who had this most exquisite pottery, uh, really just great stuff. And she was selling it at what I thought were obscenely low prices. And I sat and I talked with her for a little bit because there was no business. I was the only customer there and there was nobody looking at her stuff. And I said, what, what are you doing? What, what's going on? She said, well, I love making pottery. Um, you know, I said, you do it very well. She said, but nobody wants to buy it. I can't, can't give it away. And I said, uh, what are you selling? She said, well, I'm selling pottery. I said, no, no, people can buy pottery at, 
at Kohl's. They can buy pottery at, you know, uh, the container store, Bed Bath & Beyond or whatever. Uh, that's not what you're selling. These are original works of art. You need to put a zero at the end of all these prices and sell art because that's what you've got here. And I, she said, well, I don't know if I could do that. I said, well, what have you got to lose? You're not selling anything now. So I came back the next day and she was beaming and the place was bustling and she had done what I said. She took a chance. She put a zero on the end of it and put a big sign up that said original art. And she was sold out by the end of the weekend and taking orders for the holidays. Again, we don't understand a lot of times what we're selling. I'm not selling a magic show. Nobody wants to buy a magic show. Even if they, they might think, oh, magic show would be nice because what? Because it solves a problem. Because it makes Timmy happy for his eighth birthday. Or because it's going to be an entertainer that I can hire for my company holiday party that won't get me fired. Um, <laughs> and, if you think, and if you think I'm kidding, most corporate bookers, that's what they're looking for. I did right. a corporate holiday uh, banquet at one of the Magianos, which great business model they have there. And um, it was a small group. It was like 35 people. It was uh, families with kids. And it was all the employees of this small accounting firm. And I did my show, got a big ovation. The CEO stands up, leads another ovation and says, listen, I want to also, let's have a big round of applause for Joanna in HR who booked Eric. Wasn't she that great? She had a great idea. Said, you remember the comedian we had last year? And there was this mass groan hmm. from the adults. And he said, you, did you, you look around? Do you, do you see Jason who, who booked that guy? Yeah, he's not here anymore. And my blood ran cold. People actually lose their jobs because they have a, they put together a bad holiday party. It does happen. Just like, you know, the day after, Monday after Thanksgiving, I know like clockwork, I'm going to start getting phone calls because some CEO has just figured out that, ooh, it's Thanksgiving's over. Now we need a holiday party when they should have had their their executive assistant or their HR director hiring, you know, getting that arranged in July. So my point is that we are in the problem solving business. There's a reason why those hack uh, art shows that go around the country and, you know, they sell out arenas and they advertise hand painted stuff. I mean, I'm, I hate those, but their marketing is on point because they say we have sofa size oils. What does that mean? It's a picture you can hang over your sofa. It's the right size. Everybody can picture it. And you've now identified the problem you're solving. Yeah, I just moved in a new place and the walls are a little bare. I need to put something up, but I don't know anything about art. And I don't have thousands of dollars to spend on a great artist. So yeah, I'll go down to the convention center and look around and pull something up that looks inoffensive. And I'll buy it for a hundred bucks and put it over my sofa. Problem solved. Um, that's, you know, <laughs> I'm not endorsing that. I'm saying we need to be smart and understand what people are actually buying from us. It might be that they're buying a peace offering to their spouse. It might be that they're buying, you know, their in-laws not bugging them again about the gift they didn't give them last year for Christmas. I don't know. But what you need to do is identify what it is you're actually selling. Because you're not necessarily selling a painting. I have a friend who's a brilliant photographer and she lives on the western shore of the Chesapeake Bay. And she takes the most exquisite photos of nature and of lighthouses and things like that. And she markets them brilliantly because she's like, you know, are you moving away from Maryland? Or are you living someplace? Take, some, take a piece of Maryland with you. Take a piece of your home state with you. Because people in this area, as you know, is able to move in and out all the time. The D.C. area, people are moving around. 
back and forth all over the country. She's got a great idea. She's selling nostalgia. She's selling homesickness. Um, and that's pretty powerful. So the first thing is we got to understand what we're selling. And the second thing we got to understand is who's going to buy it. Who's going to buy it? You know, I could do kids' birthday parties like I did for a long, long time. I'm writing a book about that. I'm doing the brain dump. But um, there's a ceiling to that market. That's a commodity market because there are a lot of people in there and every kid has a birthday and there's just a lot of business. So there's a lot of competition and especially on the booking sites. Um, and so you can hire a clown for 75 bucks and I, you can't make a living doing that. So unless you're going to go for a higher end market, like a celebrity market, kids' birthdays are probably not your best bet if you want to be a full-time magician. So you got to find a market niche that works for you. My market niche is small VIP uh, dinners, corporate gatherings, charity dinners, uh, dinner parties for wealthy people where you've got 30, 40 people in a home dining room or a private room in a fancy restaurant. And I do a little close-up magic during cocktails and I come in after dinner and do an hour of magic and mind reading with a lot of humor. I don't even use the word comedy because people think comedy club and they think you're working blue. So I use the word humor. And my brand is upscale and it's all about Washington. Um, and I have, I even have a website, Capital Conjure, capital with an OL, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of really says, here's what's going on. And what I want to do with that website is I want people to think, I can't afford this guy, but let's see if he's available. Because uh, I want to scare away the people who are looking for that $75 birthday clown. Um, and so I know who my market is. Uh, my market is wealthy people and fairly affluent people. Uh, the other thing is a lot of consumers of art, you got to understand the difference between wealth and affluence. Affluent people uh, have a great income, but they'd be bankrupt in 30 days if they lost their job. These are the people who live in the fancy neighborhoods and you go to their house and there's no furniture because they spent all their money buying the fancy house in the fancy neighborhood. Wealthy people have assets. They may or may not have to work because their assets are working for them. And that's a nice place to be if you can do it. Uh, and ultimately, that's where we all need to get to, not necessarily be wealthy, but at least be self-sufficient financially. Uh, because at some point, your boss or your body is going to tell you, you can't do this anymore. And you're going to need to be able to live a different way. And Social Security is not going to do it. Sad, but true. So, and I appreciate everything you've just said. And it was fascinating because... Uh, as as a performing artist myself uh, and an author and a playwright and all these other things, I'm in many ways in the same boat. And here's the thing, though. You know, there is this notion, I would say, in this, you know, we talked about it, you touched on it briefly, that, you know, don't quit your day job. In other words, the best way, as you said it, to be a performing artist is to have your job and have the you know, the hierarchy of needs met, those the shelter and the food and then this and the at. And yet, what if people want to be these artists? What if they what if you don't want to be uh, an executive assistant or an accountant anymore? And we know we know a, a performer who used to be an accountant and went, you know what, I've saved enough money, I've done all the things and now I'm a full time performer. And that kind of transition has a lot of I would say hurdles you have to overcome, one of them being societal, right? Society 
does sort of make you think, oh, being a starving artist is okay. Or again, don't quit your day job that you could be an artist, but you're, you're going to be an artist in your spare time instead of trying to be and succeeding at being an artist full time. Talk to me a little bit about what that means to you and how you would combat it because you made that switch yourself. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, yes, uh, there is, um, we, a lot of us grew up being told you're going to go to college, you're going to get married, you're going to get a job, you're going to work. And then when you're 65, you're going to retire. And then when you're 85, you're going to die. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what the, the program is, right? Everybody is an artist. Every single person has a voice. I really believe this. I think everybody is born with artistic talent. So do I. And, and a lot of people decide to uh, suppress that for the sake of security. Uh, the triune God that we worship in America is comfort, security, and convenience. So uh, it reminds me of that line in Up in the Air when George Clooney is, is talking to the guy. He says, so how much did they initially pay you to give up your dreams? Right. So the guy got, he wanted to be a chef, but he took $20,000 because he had a wife and he had kids and he had obligations. Mm -hmm. um, this happens a lot with men, uh, especially in our culture. Um, and the flip side of that is the people who gave up their dreams, there's a certain level of resentment against people who did not give up their dreams. You know, we, we celebrate people like Taylor Swift and people like Travis Kelsey. Uh, and we acknowledge the hard work that it took to get where they are. But at the same time, we're kind of like, yeah, I'd like to play a kid's game too for a living. Or I'd like to get up in front of people with a microphone for a living too. That would be nice. And so it, this this reveals itself in this attitude that people have when they try to book you or buy your stuff. Saying, well, you know, why does it cost that much? You know, people are like, people say, it's a 45-minute show. Why does it cost that much? And I'm like, I'm doing the show for free. Show doesn't cost that. What you're getting is 50 years of experience being able to do the show. You know, if they could do the show themselves, they would. And the same thing with kids' birthday parties. Like you're, the reason you're paying somebody is because you're not capable or interested in entertaining your kids in that way, or you want to, you know, have the expert with a briefcase from out, out of town. So um, there is that societal pressure that you can either be a starving artist or you can be um a person who does art on the side and that's how you uh fulfill your you know that's how you feed your heart um in other words you can be a live jackal or a dead lion well i think you can be a live lion i don't think you have to choose you can design the life you want let me repeat that you can design the life that you want but you there are certain things you have to do you have to decide. You don't necessarily have to save up all your life to be a full-time artist. You can take the plunge early, but you got to understand the risks. You got to understand the rewards. I was very lucky. I was married for almost 25 years to a woman whose mom was one of the first women in America to own a newspaper that she hadn't inherited. So she grew up in an, a business-owning environment, an entrepreneurial environment, and she understood the risks and the rewards. And when I came to her in 2007 and I said, Betsy, I'm really tired. And I, I would just, what would you say if I quit the investment business, if I retired from my partnership in the firm and just did magic full time? She said to me, I've been waiting five years to hear you say that. She said, I don't care if we lose the house. I'd rather have you happy. So having a partner who supports you, that's really important. Secondly, before you go full time, you have to do two things. You have to reduce 
your expenses and your debts. If you can pay off as many debts as possible. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying home mortgage necessarily, because to me, that's not a real debt that's secured by the house. But I'm talking about credit card debts and things that are just going to drain you. There is no better financial return than paying off a credit card because that's interest you don't have to pay. And an expense you don't have to pay is tax-free money in your pocket. Okay. More money is not the answer. More income is not necessarily the answer. It's using what you have to the best advantage. Um, the other thing is we got to start running our art, like our, our business as a business. We need to realize that it's a business and run it as a business. And this gets into a whole stuff, and I have a whole seminar in this, but there's a whole uh, series of things that we have to realize, one of which is that revenue is not income. In other words, if I sell a painting for $500, I don't pocket $500. At least $100 of that is going to go to income tax. Yeah, the tag, you're going to pay taxes. Uh, part of that's going to go to replenishing the canvas and the paints and the brushes that I used or maybe used up in the process of making that painting. Part of that is going to be used up in living expenses. So, you know, or, or expenses related to the business, like if you're a performer and you have an automobile, that's a whole series of expenses. You have, might have a car payment. You might have annual maintenance. You know, if you spend $600 a year on your car maintenance, that's $50 a month. And if you haven't accounted for that in your monthly spending plan, then that can break you. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that we have all, that we're already spending money on that we don't know. So when I talk to my coaching clients, I say, look, first thing is write, take, get receipts for everything for a month and every day write down what you spent. And then after the paramedics have revived you, mm -hmm. um, you know, you'll realize where the money's going. Oh, I didn't realize I still had that subscription to Planet Fitness that I've never used since COVID started. Or I didn't realize I've still subscribed to Max and Paramount Plus and Netflix and Hulu and on and on and on. And it's, oh my gosh, that's $200 a month. I didn't even realize. So the first thing is know where the money's going. Second thing is we get a plan, set up our business financially. I believe that it's a good idea. And again, you do this in concert with your own financial advisor. But I found for me, it's a really good idea to have a separate bank account for the business. And the way you do that is you, you know, I went to my state office that does all that, the licensing office in Maryland, and I did an application and I I obtained a business license. In other words, I I got I registered the business name um, as an LLC. Okay, a limited liability corporation, because you can sue anybody for anything. You can sue a ham sandwich. But if, but I don't do business as Eric Henning. Nobody hires Eric Henning for magic. They hire Henning Magic LLC, which means if there's a problem at the gig or there's damage or something like that, then their recourse is against the company, not against me personally. If you don't have some kind of liability shield in place, all it takes is for you to burn a hole in a client's rug in their house or to cause somebody an injury and you can end up at the wrong end of a lawsuit that will bankrupt three generations of your family. So talk to your attorney about the wisdom of creating an LLC um, because that's a form that even if you're a sole proprietor, that if you're by yourself, that's going to work out pretty well, probably. So I create the LLC. Then I go to the IRS and I fill out a form and request a tax ID number, an employer ID number, an EIN. Now I send the IRS my paperwork saying, this is a legitimate business. 
and the IRS, I mean, you can do, even do this online, and the IRS sends you back a number. And that, that's like a social security number for a business. It's basically creating a fictional person for the purpose of doing business. And then you go to the bank with your business papers from the state and your tax ID number, your EIN from the IRS, and you open up a business bank account. And then all the money that comes into the business goes in there. All of it goes in there. And all of the expenses that you spend on the business come out of that account. And then you can pay yourself from that. You can pay yourself what's called a dividend uh, as the business owner. You can do that. And what this does is this is actually going to make your taxes pretty simple for an accountant or even an online service to do. And it's going to mean that you're going to end up paying less in taxes, ultimately. Now, that's a good news, bad news story. The good news is, uh, the bad news is you're going to have to pay taxes before you actually earn the money a lot of times. You're going to have to pay what's called quarterly taxes. In other words, the IRS says, well, here's what your business earned last year. And so we estimate that this is what you earned in the first quarter of 2023. And here's what the tax would be on that. So you need to go ahead and pay that. That's in, in, in lieu of tax withholding that you have on your salary job. So you pay that. The good news is you're going to get most of it back, probably almost all of it, because once you take out all the tax deductions, uh, things like your uh, travel expenses, dry cleaning of costumes, buying of equipment, buying of things that you use up and need to replace, um, all of that stuff, marketing expenses, the cost of your website, um, domain names, all of that. By the time you deduct all of that, uh, you may only show a very small profit and you may end up paying very little in taxes on the business. Now, you need to show a profit at least once every five years in order, or else the IRS will say it's not really a business, it's a hobby. So you don't have to show a profit every year, but you have to show a profit at least once every five years. And um, there are things out there that will help you with that. You probably already know that if you're an entertainer, or any kind of independent contractor, if you're painting murals for restaurants or whatever, uh, and you're earning more than $600 a year from the same client, you have to give them a W-9 form, and then they send you a 1099 at the end of the year. They send you a tax form, and that helps you just line all those up, and you can input them in, in TurboTax or whatever you're using. PayPal. If you get paid by PayPal, PayPal will actually set you, send you a whole thing at the end of the year for taxes that where they've done all that work for you. It's fantastic. So um, there's a lot of things that are automated, that are computerized, where you can you can hook up in uh, TurboTax or, or Rocket Money or any of these things to your existing bank accounts, and they will search for things that are business deductions and automatically to keep track of that. And then at the end of the year, you, you press a button and your taxes come out. It's not quite that simple, but that's so. What I'm saying is, you got to get yourself organized financed financially. Now, if this sounds really intimidating or daunting, I understand. Not mm -hmm. everybody. It's a different part of your brain. If you're used to painting or doing music, then the numbers thing you might buy into another societal myth, which is math is hard. But again, it's never been easier because we have lots and lots of people who can help you. You can. 
There are online services where you can talk to somebody. Even the tax preparing services and the accounting software people have, uh, they have uh, customer service people who can walk you through everything and help you get everything set up the way you need to. Uh, you can talk to a uh, tax advisor or an attorney who is licensed in your state of residence. That's important. If you're in the United States, they've got to be licensed where you live. Um, and they can, and it's worth a little bit of money to get yourself set up like this. Um, I was very lucky. I had an accountant for years and I would just take receipts and put them in a bit, uh, an envelope every month and hand them the receipts and they would put, do all the computer work for me. And at the end of the year, they do my taxes. It was fabulous. It was absolutely fabulous. I, I paid them $2,000 a year, but it was worth it because I saved so much more time. And that's interesting, actually. Uh, you know, to me, one of the things with what you've just been talking about, so much of it is a mindset, right? When you're looking at paying someone to do some of this stuff or you're looking at doing it yourself, <laughs> there are a couple of different things in play. One, do you have the money to pay someone? Two, do you have the capability and the mindset and, and sort of the frame of mind that you can do it if you decide not to pay somebody? And three, let's talk about money versus time, right? I pay myself a salary, for example, a mental salary of a little bit over uh, minimum wage. And what that means is if it's going to take me five hours to do X, and that would be $75, but I can hire someone else to do it better than I can for $50, then by gum, even though it's $50 out of my pocket, I'm going to hire them because it would take me longer to do it than it would for someone who is well-versed in whatever it is that I want to do. So this notion of money versus time and also mindset, like, can I do this? Do I have the skills? Sometimes you have to really take stock inside yourself. Can I do this? And for me, every year, I have to sort of go through this process of changing where I am, changing how I'm thinking of myself. Yes, I'm a performing artist. Yes, I'm a writer. Yes, I do all of these things. And yet I can also be someone who turns on that math part, that part that's going to look at it very analytically and figure out all the steps and input things into TurboTax or whatever. You think I was an affiliate of TurboTax. I'm not, but I do use it every year. So I'd love it if you would talk a little bit about that part of it, the, the mindset that you need to Ooh. go through to be okay with doing the math. And if you're not okay with doing the math, then looking at that money versus time paradigm and seeing how you need to allocate those resources to make sure that you're doing everything, you know, legally and all that, but so that it, it so that it gets done in a timely and proficient manner. Right. Yeah, that's a great and and you see you see you hear folks the professionalism here the the uh, smooth segue right into what we need to talk about next. That's excellent. <laughs> um, okay, let me tell you a story. Um, when I started out in the investment business, I started out because I knew about computers. I'd been building computers and actually I was teaching computer science before I graduated from high school. And I got back from a summer doing street magic in Europe after I got my drama degree and it was a recession. And I didn't want to become an actor in New York and I didn't know what I was going to do. But it, back then, if you knew how to run a computer, you had a job. It was the early mm -hmm. 80s and it was the wild, wild west with computers. I got a temp job for a week working with a stockbroker who sold tax shelters to millionaires. And he ended up paying the, the bounty and hiring me away from the temp firm. And my job was to 
call up celebrities uh, and make appointments. Uh, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to be able to do that. Uh, he had learned from a guy named Marty Shafroff in New York City. Now, Marty Shafroff is not a widely known name, but he is the first broker in the United States to make more than a million dollars a year in gross commissions. And the way he did it was he realized that most of his time was spent dialing and waiting. He was just dialing numbers. Back then, you could cold call somebody and sell them stock. Can't do that anymore. Not allowed anymore. But back then, uh, you could do that. And so he hired college kids and he had a phone bank. This is the early 80s. Nobody knew about this. He, he created a phone bank and just had people smiling and dialing. And they asked two questions. Do they have $50,000 or more to invest? And would they like to talk about an, uh, a uh, reasonably safe tax-free investment? He was selling New York uh, municipal tax-free bonds, double and triple tax-free bonds, which is a good gateway investment to build a relationship. So what does that mean? That means that he had all this, the only people he was talking to were the people who had money and interest now. Why do we care about this? Because the best way to run your art business is eventually to have other people running the business and for you to be doing only the things that only you can do. And the, my boss, David Spray, hired people to, he didn't, he didn't cook his own food. He didn't wash his own clothes. He didn't mow his lawn or or repair his car. He didn't do anything that he didn't have to do. He wanted to spend as much of his time as possible talking with wealthy people who needed tax shelters because the product he was selling had a price tag of $200,000 and he was making a 7% commission. And it doesn't take much math to realize that you don't need to do that more than once or twice a month to do very, very well. So I ended up meeting some really interesting people. And the point is that he built a team. This is what we can learn from this. So the first thing is we need to identify what skills we have. And until we have the money, we are going to have to do some of this for ourselves. And this is where uh, it is such a great time to be alive because we have computers and we have software that can make all of this so much easier. But every single one of us knows someone who is better at computers and organization and math than we are. And we can trade. We have something to trade. You know, maybe our our, our brother-in-law, who's the accountant, needs a painting for their wall. Maybe they need a magic show for their kid's birthday. Maybe they need, you know, uh, something. Maybe they need entertainment for their company holiday party. We have something to trade. I used to do the birthday parties for this guy who owned a local print shop. And I got all my business cards and everything for free posters and flyers and everything. And that was the deal is that every year I do a couple of parties for his kids and then I get all my printing for free. So we do have something that we can trade and we have something that we can do. And there are people who generally need what we have to offer. So that's one way that we can get a hold of that. But another way is to learn how to do this stuff ourselves. And ultimately we really need to. How many times have you read about a, a pro athlete, a big name or a, or a big movie star who goes bankrupt or who owes a bunch of taxes because their financial manager was ripping them off. This is why it's important for us to be able to know, you know, that things are being done properly. We need to know enough. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be an expert. That's the good news. It's like the automobile. People think they have to know how to design an automobile, but they don't. All they have to know is how to operate one safely. You don't have to be an accountant. You don't have to be an investment expert. You don't have to be a lawyer. And you don't have to be a tax expert. 
All you have to do is know how to navigate your business and how to operate your business properly. And that level of knowledge is, is obtainable by anybody. How do I know that? Because I spent decades teaching regular people how to invest properly because I knew that once they understood the process and understood how an investment could be appropriate or inappropriate for them, they would really appreciate what we were doing. And it would be harder for somebody else to come along and steal them. They would, that really built the relationship. We trusted them that the more they knew, the more they would appreciate our approach to investing because it was a very common sense thing. Also, I'm kind of good at explaining abstract things in plain English and that helped. So first thing is you got to learn about this stuff. And there's a million and million books for this uh, out there. <clears throat> and there are books that are even aimed at creatives that talk about money. Um, and uh, so learn enough to do it yourself and then learn enough to, then you'll know if the person you're hiring knows what they're doing or not, which is kind of important. And then you can do that. But beyond that, there's no such thing as a, in reality, there's no such thing as a solopreneur. That's kind of an oxymoron. Everybody who is successful as an artist, even a solo artist, has a team. You have people that support you emotionally. You may have people that support you financially on Patreon or in other ways. You have people in the business that you can go to for advice on the art that you do. You have people on the business side that you can go to. And so you want it. You have a hairdresser that you trust. You have a costumer that you trust. You have a mechanic that you trust to, to make sure that your vehicle is working properly. At least I hope you do. I'm lucky to have one. So I'm saying is you need to build a team. You need to build a team. You shouldn't have to be looking for a new mechanic every time your car breaks down. You shouldn't have to be looking for a new dry cleaner every time you need your costume dry cleaned, you see? And you've already started this process. If you're saying, oh, well, yeah, of course, you've already begun this process. You've already got a team of people that you trust. In a lot of areas, you've got your vendors. So all I'm saying is, let's add a couple of vendors. Let's add an attorney uh, who, who understands intellectual property and understands artists. Let's add uh, an accountant or a tax advisor uh, who can help you get that stuff organized. They Listen, there's no accountant in the world that wouldn't love to get you set up on QuickBooks or some other software because it makes their job easier. So they will take all the time that they that you need to, to teach you what to do because then they can just access it and, and it may, means less work for them and it means lower fees for you. The less work they have to do, the less you have to pay. So I think the moral here is build, start building your team now. Even if you don't have any money, start building your team now and get to the point where you are spending the maximum amount of time doing what, in fact, you're paid to do, which is talking to people who have money and interest now. And that brings me to the big point, which I should have, I kind of buried the lead here as old. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you <laughs> okay. haven't. Keep going. <laughs> you don't get paid to do your art. You don't get paid to do your art. You get paid to run your business. Doing the art is the reward you get for running the business. Let me repeat that. You don't get paid to do your art. You get paid to run your business. Doing your art is the reward you get for running the business. So, for example, I get paid to talk to people and book shows. That's how I make money is I book shows. Doing the show is the fun part. Doing the show is my reward for having booked the show. So when somebody says to me, 
<clears throat> well, I don't want to pay this much for a one hour show. I'm saying you're not paying that much for a one hour show. You're paying for the date because I only have 365 days on the calendar. I can't make any more time. And that brings us back to the time money. So they're paying for the, the time. They're not paying for the show. They're paying for the time, which means, by the way, that I can get paid in advance. And I do. <clears throat> so this is the time money trade-off. Time is a weird commodity. Each one of us has the same amount and each one of us has all that there is. And none of us can make any more. Uh, recently, there was a toll road built in Maryland that comes right from the town I live in, Laurel, all the way over to Gaithersburg, uh, which normally would be an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half, because you have to take the Beltway and then go back up an interstate. And this goes as door to door, goes straight across. But it can cost three or four dollars during rush hour because it's one of those, you know, morphing tolls that it changes depending on the time of day. And people say to me, how it's so expensive to take the ICC. Why are you, why are you taking this toll road? And I say, because I can't, I can make more money. I can't make more time. I can't make more time. So I would trade money for time every single day of the week and twice on Sundays. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to cheap out and save money if it'll save me time. If having somebody else, I mean, I would pay somebody to take my dry cleaning to the dry cleaners and do my grocery shopping and do all of that stuff if it meant that I made two extra phone calls a day that made me an extra $1,500 a week, right? So, so that is, I can make more money. So what you want to do is trade money for time, if at all possible, because people who trade time for money, we have a name for those people. We call them wage slaves. Mm. Okay. If you're trading time for money and that's all you're doing, you are a wage slave and you will find yourself with nothing at the end of your life. But if you learn how to trade money for time and you learn how to save up that money, then you can plan to retire. Uh, the process of retirement planning, very simply, is the process of transition from working for your money to your money working for you. And so you need to understand that part of everything you earn is yours to keep. And so you need to pay yourself enough and build it up and that brings us into the whole area of saving and investing. <clears throat> if you imagine a staircase with three buckets, and there's a there's a spigot pouring water into the three buckets, and when the top bucket on the top step fills up, it spills over to the second bucket and likewise into the third. But the top bucket has holes in it. That's your debt bucket. You're never going to get filled up as long as you've got a lot of credit card debt. You can't you know, making an investment that pays 8% a year doesn't make any sense if you're paying 24% a year on a credit card balance. So you got to pay off those debts. And then once that bucket fills up, it goes into the savings bucket. In the savings bucket, if you're an artist, probably about six months of living expenses. Because having money saved up will help you pay your bills during the time that you're not making a lot of money, especially if you're in a seasonal business. The problem with being self-employed and the problem with being an artist is that our society and our financial system is set up for people who are on a salary, who are getting paid on the 1st and the 15th. And so your bills are monthly bills and they have to be paid at a certain time and so forth. The only way to smooth out that cash flow and not be forever in a panic or behind is to build up some savings in the good times, is to resist the urge to splurge in the good times. 
save up that money so that you can fill in that valley. When you have a mountain, you use it to fill in the valley in the bad times and and uh, let everything level out. And so that second bucket is your savings. That's money that's not going to make any earnings. It's not going to make you any money. It's just available for emergencies because if you have six months of living expenses saved up, you don't need to grab your credit card when the roof caves in or the boiler blows up or the car breaks down. Credit cards are not an emergency fund. They're debt. They're a loan shark. They are the casino chips of our economy. The reason casinos <laughs> don't, the reason you buy casino chips is so you can forget that you're losing money constantly. That's why casino chips exist and credit cards are the same way. They separate the pain of payment from the pleasure of purchase. And so you got to get rid of them, you know? Uh, obviously, you're going to use them for certain things like renting cars or, you know, buying airline tickets or whatever and and all of that. And that's using credit cards is a whole other thing that I talked about in my my old podcast, which is still around, called The Financial Wizard. But um, um, so the third bucket is the savings, the investing bucket. That's the long-term bucket that you don't touch. And the reason you have the savings bucket is so you don't have to touch your investments. And it's money that you're going to put away for five to 10 years minimum. And that's where money goes into retirement accounts. That's where you start talking about stocks and bonds and mutual funds and real estate investments and things like that. But we're not there yet. That's a talk for another day. First, you want to set up your business properly. Have a separate bank account and do everything as a business and treat it like it's a real business. And what you'll find is there's a whole lot of expenses that you didn't realize you had. And you're going to realize very quickly that you need to do one of two things. You either need to do a lot more art or you need to raise your prices. Guess which one I'm going to recommend? <laughs> And, you know, there's a psychology there at work, too, and I've always found it fascinating. The more I raise my prices, the higher my profile, the more my clients think that I am amazing. And it's fascinating to me because the less I used to charge, the more difficult it was to to sort of work with some of the clients that I was working with. And as I increase my prices, as I increase my fees for the philosopher's tones, for my own uh, appearances of any kind, all of a sudden, and it is kind of all of a sudden, that jump makes my relationships with clients hmm. and with agents improve by a great deal. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, and now we get into the thing which we can which we can end on, which I think is fascinating, which is there really is kind of a mystical thing that goes on. Money is a great tool. It's a great servant. It's a terrible master. And so <laughs> it's very important that you are in charge of your money and you're not just reacting to things, but you're planning ahead. I did the same thing a few years ago. Uh, I raised my prices. I actually, I, I did the math. And I realized that I was making the same fees that I've been making for 10 years. And I mm -hmm. said, that's there's that I, the cost of living wasn't the same as it had been 10 years earlier. Also, uh, clients will tell you sometimes if you're getting tips, uh, a lot of people brag, particularly magicians are like, oh, I got this really nice tip at this gig. And my response is always the same. Then you're not charging enough. Your clients are telling mm -hmm. you that you're not charging enough. I did a corporate lunch, holiday lunch many years ago. And it was the end of three days of offsite training for a bunch of convenience store owners and operators. And it was a really nice group of people. And they said, we want the holiday thing. Go ahead and make it snow at the end, all of that. And I did a great show. They loved it. 
And I was getting paid $700 for that. Uh, and this is a long time ago. And, uh, and at the end, the CEO comes over and shakes my hand and slips me some money. Now, he's like at least three clicks above the person who actually booked me. Mm. And I looked later. I never look at a tip right away. I always, you know, put it in my pocket and look at it in the car. I looked down that car. It was three $100 bills. The CEO knew how much I was getting. He just told me that my show was $1,000 of show, that my show is worth $1,000. A holiday corporate luncheon show was worth $1,000. Guess what my new price became? Sure. And and but right. here's the thing though. Hang on a second. I want to I want to sort of slide this in for you to also talk about. Again, we come back to mindset. You as the performing artist went, "Oh, my show is worth $1,000 and I have to accept that someone out there goes, that was a $1,000 show, that wasn't a $700 show." And the psychology is an internal process then that makes you go, "Yes, I can. Yes, I my act is worth x whatever x was in this case it well my was client's telling initial. me that. right you know, no i get that leaving the client here's the thing though here's the thing and 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 good for you that you get to do that and you can do that there are lots of people out there who sort of have this uh almost a supplicant mentality right and i i work with my own clients that that have similar issues where they don't believe they're worth what even the market is telling them they're worth and they tend to want to price down instead of charging what the market will bear and the, right. again it's a psychology there's a psychology at work here that makes you think oh my work isn't worth this much and that's the thing that yes the client told you but something inside you went ah oh, the client told me this my show's now going to be for this kind of gig for this kind of uh, event it's going to sure. be a thousand dollars what went on inside you to make you go absolutely this is the new rate i'm doing it and from now on when somebody calls and asks for a lunchtime gig yeah. around the holidays that's my sh that's my rate i spent 20 years in the stock market i you know i understand the market will tell you what something is worth today that doesn't mean it's what's going to be worth 20 years from now but the market tell the market's a pretty efficient place it's also a very humbling place to work but it'll tell you what things are worth so I listen to the market. If somebody tells me this is what it's worth, this is what I'm willing to pay. Um, I almost lost a corporate holiday gig because I offered to do it for $750. And they came back to me and said, you know, we almost didn't book you because we're used to paying $3,500. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. you, so I always ask, what did you, you know, who did you have last year? What did you pay them? What's your budget? Things like that, because people will surprise you. And so... Um, and so I think, yeah, we had this idea of, oh, like we're almost beggars, like, oh, please buy my art, please buy my mm -hmm. art. Mm -hmm. That's a self-image thing. That is maybe from imposter syndrome. Or that, that's other things that are at play there. And um, I'm not a therapist and I'm not equipped to address those things. And I don't know what is behind that with everybody. But I will tell you that uh, sometimes necessity makes the pricing. For example, as you know, I am the primary caregiver for my mom, who's 91 years old and has Alzheimer's-related dementia. And so she can't be left alone. I have to be home with her. So I can't do a nine-to-five job out in the real world. My son just turned 18. Um, he's a senior in high school. Um, fortunately, this, this year, he's got a schedule where he can be home as early as 11 a.m., which means I'm able to do some afternoon gigs. But for the last three years, because she came to live with us, my mom, during lockdown, I can't go out and do things during the day. And I can only do evening and weekend gigs, and I can only do a certain number of gigs a month, 
maybe mm -hmm. seven to 10. Okay. So what I do is I say, okay, here's how much money I want to make on a rev, how much revenue I want to make, because I'm going to take 50% of that. That's going to be my income. That's my yardstick, just very rough calculation. So if I want to make, let's say I want to make $50,000 a year net, it means I have to earn $100,000 a year. So let's say I want to work 10 months. That means I need to make $10,000 a month, which means that I can do 10 gigs at $1,000 a gig. Okay, now I know what my price is. Done. So now, and you can say, well, well, I can't get that for my work. Yeah, sure you can. You just got to talk to the right people. You're not going to get that on Gig Masters or Gig Salad or, you know, race to the bottom uh, bookingservice.com. You need to then do your marketing and find the people who are happy, willing, and able to pay those that price for quality. And that's where we get back to wealthy versus affluent. There are people out there who will happily pay for $1,000 for a birthday party magician. Um, but you better be really good at what you do. And if you are good, and most of your listeners are much better than they think, well, there's an old saying, you're better than you think you are, and you're not as good as you think you are. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can find the people who will pay what you need to earn. That's marketing. Marketing is finding those people and then targeting them and letting them know. And when you find one, you know, when you find... If I go and do a, a dinner party for a wealthy family, what do I do? I send postcards or wedding invitations to everybody else in a five block radius that lives in that neighborhood saying, your neighbors just had this great magician at their dinner party and you can too. And here's what people are saying. Let's talk now because birds of a feather, right? So yeah, just clone your best clients. Start by cloning your best clients and firing the worst ones. Because it's always the people who pay the least who give you the most crap and make you work the hardest. So why? Why are you doing that? You know, you got to be like J. Alfred Prufrock. There is some stuff I will not eat. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. what you? Because if they could do it, they'd be doing it. That's why they're going to pay you to do it. So um, there's a lot here. And we could do 17 episodes. And, you know, <laughs> maybe it's time for me to do another podcast. I don't know. But my point is this. You have something to offer. It is valuable. You can, if you want, make a full-time living with it. You can design the life you want, but you have to get it organized and build your foundation and build your team. That's the, that's the best I got. And mic drop. And, you know, and it, it, it's so interesting to me to hear you say that because... Uh, you know, we could, and I'd love to have you back. Maybe you should come back once a month and, and we should have these in-depth <laughs> conversations because because yeah. there's so much just, okay, yes, you have to build your team, but even just, and I do this too, whenever I talk with a booking agent or a client, I always ask, what's your budget? And just that one sentence yep. opens up an entire world of conversations that you can have with a potential client because... They might not know their budget or what you might be thinking to charge, like you said, with that $750 gig versus 3500 
they if they had said if 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 that question had been asked and they had said thirty five hundred, you'd have been like, great, that just happens to be my fee, boom. And then a seven hundred fifty dollar gig has become a thirty five hundred dollar gig. So so much. Or, or or what I'll do is I'll say I'll do it for uh, thirty three fifty. Now they're a hero. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, sure. There's nothing wrong with giving them a break on the thirty five hundred dollar price. Oh, and we could do and we could do a whole thing on how to talk to people on the phone and how to book stuff because. There are five magic words that have gotten me more gigs than any others. Are you ready? Yes. Five words. Tell me about your event. And then I just shut up and let them talk until they're done. Do you know why? Because 90% of the people, 95% of the people that book me are women. And nobody listens to them on a daily basis. And for somebody to actually listen to them until they're done, I'm now their new best friend. And, and also... I always give them value on the first call. Even if they're never going to book me, I always give them one idea that will make their event better. Why? Because, again, mystical things, what goes around comes around. I always do at least one charity show a month. Why? It's a way of saying thank you for the privilege of being in a society that allows me to make a living to do this. So there's a lot of spiritual applications. We can do a whole hour on that, on, on how on tying money into spirituality and how that works. But I'm telling you that once you get on the right side of this, and once you realize that you are sharing joy and beauty with people, there is no amount of money that is enough to pay for that. In reality, it's of infinite value. So all you're doing is collecting enough to make a living. And you just decide what that is and who's going to pay it. I want to say yes. And at the same time, Again, I, I always come back to mindset and I always come back to marketing and I always come back to people yep. have to think that what they are paying for is worth it. So there's so much. Yeah, you have into, to do the work. You have to do yeah. the work. But 90% of it is, look, when I was a stockbroker, I, I noticed when I was apprenticing, which is a weird way to get into the business. When I was apprenticing, I noticed that most of the brokers, especially the rookies, were doing something that very unsuccessful. They were all calling the same five doctors in McLean, Virginia. This is the McLean is one of the wealthiest suburbs of, in the United States. Um, and these are people living in multi-million dollar mansions uh, back in the 80s. And they're even bigger mansions now. Um, and none of these guys had money because, like I say, they bought the mansion. So they didn't have any money to invest. And I said, well, wait a minute. I'm really looking for people who have money. So if they spent, if the money's in the house, the money's not going to be available for an investment portfolio. So they had a thing back then called the reverse directory. It was a giant book. This is back when you had to go to the library to do research. Mm -hmm. And it was a giant book and it listed by address all the different houses. And you would find out who owned the house, what their phone number was, and how much remained on their mortgage balance. And it was republished every year. This was amazing to me. So I discovered that if I looked at certain zip codes, there were a bunch of people that had a multi that had a million dollar house with no mortgage. They were all widows. And it turns out that in Falls Church, Virginia, a whole bunch of them had breakfast every morning at the local Shoney's and were buying treasury bonds directly from the treasury at auction. Every Wednesday morning, treasury bills. And these were turned out to be the most brilliant bond traders I'd ever met. They would kill you for an eighth of a percentage point. <laughs> and they were terrified because interest rates were coming down, which meant their income was dropping, but the cost of living wasn't dropping. And they were terrified that they would have to start eating cat food. 
And so I come along and I start having breakfast with them. And I say, oh yeah, yeah, our clients are getting this much. Really? How are you doing it? Oh, well, we have a couple of strategies, you know, whatever. And I was just very casual and I acted like they were my grandmother. I wasn't going to put a hard sell on them. Are you kidding? I just couldn't be nice. I got every single one of them as a client and they all had multi-million dollar portfolios. And I was able to make increase their income, protect them against inflation. And I got so many free brownies. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I, I gained so much weight. I had to tell them to stop <laughs> baking, please, just for the love of God, stop. But I did it because I identified the people who were my natural market. And if you just put up a website waiting for the phone to ring, no, that's not going to work. It's like the old yellow pages. You know, maybe you're, what you're going to do is you're going to get somebody who wants exactly what you're doing, but there are people who want, who need what you have, who don't necessarily want it yet. They don't necessarily know that they want it. You know, not everybody realizes that their company party should have a live artist doing art during dinner that they can watch or, you know, after dinner and then they, and as, as entertainment, you know, or a clean stand-up comedian or, you know, you see what I'm saying? So, you know, not everybody knows that they need that. So we need to get out there and cast a, a net to the people who can afford it. And again, that's market research. We find out who our ideal client is, find out what magazines they read, what newspapers they read, what radio stations they listen to, what the kind of music they like, what TV stations they watch. We craft our message. But again, that's a whole nother marketing thing seminar. Um, but, but again, the first, the easy thing you can do is go to your best client, go to the client that you love working with, that pays you a lot of money. That's easy to work with. You know, if you got one or five of those and call and, and, and write them a nice handwritten note right now, that's the end of the year. Um, and if it's not, when you hear this, it doesn't matter. Say, thank you so much for your business. I would love to have more clients like you. I'd like to talk to having to give you a call. Who do you know that should know about me? Not. Do you know anybody? But who do you know? And see if you can get them to refer to you to two or three of their friends. You know, and now you got people to talk to. And that makes so much of the difference. How you approach it, the kinds of questions you ask, and the preparation that you undertake in order to be able to to treat your art as a business, treat your performance yeah. art and treat whatever it is that you're doing as the business it is, because like you it said very early you're on, gonna yeah. have to, you're going to have to put in the work. It's not sure. a magic formula. It's not a snap your fingers and half your, like Thanos and half your competition disappears. It's not how it works. <laughs> well, it, for sure. It, you do, there is work to do, <laughs> but most of us don't even know the steps to take. And that's where there's some, there's a lot of resources out there to help you. Yeah. This podcast being a big one. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, yeah. I, I really am quite something. <laughs> yes, you are. You know, it, it's, it, is, it is so fascinating to me, though. Again, we come back to where we started that so many people who want to be artists have this this idea that, oh, if I, if I just become a TikTok star, then all the money will come rolling in. But even so, like you said yourself, there, there are lots of people who were once multi-cajillionaires who wind up broke because they got ripped off or because they mismanaged the wealth that they had. So we have to look at this like analytical, practical business people 
in addition to the fact that we can be in the in the wildest heights of what who is it Flaubert who said be uh, calm and methodical in your life so that you can be wild and original in your work or your art in this case and so much of it is that is that that we need to be practical and methodical and Eric I am very very grateful to you for taking the time to talk about this in such a practical way that marries the concept between art creativity and being practical about your finances all the way from when you begin your business to when you retire and beyond. Thank you so much for doing that and for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to help. Again, you know me, trying to, listening to me sometimes is like trying to drink out of a fire hose. Uh, I just got a whole lot that's there. And like I say, maybe it's time to start a new podcast. That's <laughs> Maybe it is. Or maybe you can bring the financial wizard back. Uh, one or the other or both would be great. And maybe you'll come back to this show and, and we'll do a series about all of this because I think it's so, it, these are important topics to think about. And you know what, even if you're not a performing or a creative artist, quite frankly, this is a very good stuff to think about and to implement regardless of what you do for a living because it's all part and parcel of planning and taking care of your day-to-day -day life and your long-term goals and processes. So, yay. But before you go, Eric, I would love it if you would please tell people learn in different ways. This is all going to be in the show notes, but I'd love it if you would say someone wants to know more about you and the work you're doing in magic and perhaps even the coaching that you're doing. Where can someone find you? What are the, what are the best places to find you? Uh, well, you can find me at erichenningmagic.com. That's my primary website. Or you can, if you, that's too hard to remember, just go to thatwasamazing.com, uh, <laughs> which will dump that. into the Capital Conjurer website. And you can email me through the form that's on that site or give me a phone call or whatever. I am in the process of putting together a coaching website. Um, I've, I have a lot of testimonials. Uh, that I just need to put up. And I just simply haven't. By the time you read hear this, that site will probably be up. And uh, if it is up, I will have a link in ericanningmagic.com to the coaching site. Um, but regardless, just get in touch with me. I have a few slots uh, on a regular basis. And, um, and basically, I help. A lot of times, I help performers with their show, but also their business and their marketing. Um, sometimes it's easier to do it for somebody else. <laughs> Um, oh yeah. I also I also do magic. I I primarily do magic for adults, uh, social, corporate, and charity events. So I do high end dinner parties. I do, you know, a VIP dinners in a fancy restaurant, 30, 40 people. Um, there was one Fortune one hundred company that booked me two to four times a month for six and a half years until COVID, uh, to do exactly that with their top clients that they flew in from around the country. So that's kind of my thing. It's kind of what I would call parlor magic. It's not sitting down at a table, close-up magic, and it's not a big stage show. It's kind of in between. And to me, it's the best way to see magic. It's intimate enough to be amazing. And yet there are certain theatrical conventions that still remain. Um, I'm working on a book on parlor magic right now, as well as the Son of Tips, which is the brain dump on kids' magic. Um, and of course, if you're in the Washington, D.C. metro area, um, go to WashingtonMagic.com. We I have a regular show. It's uh, right now, January of 2024. Um, the um, Arts Club of Washington, where we do the show, is, is closed for renovations, but they'll be back up and we'll probably be back up in February. But we do a show that has, besides COVID, outside of COVID, been sold out continuously for five years. Um, and it's at the Arts Club of Washington and it's 
which is the old James Monroe presidential mansion where he lived when they were rebuilding the White House after the War of 1812. Um, it's this beautiful two Federalist townhouses glommed together. It's this gorgeous historic property. And we do parlor magic and drinks and heavy hors d'oeuvres or a rustic buffet. And then we do a stage show. And it's usually on a weeknight and it usually runs from about six to nine. And people are done. And we get a lot of people who come who work in DC and come and do this uh, and then go home and still have plenty of time to get to sleep. The team is a is kind of unusual. I'm the ringer. I'm the only pro, full-time pro in the group. We our leader, David Morey, is a political consultant who's elected 22 heads of state around the world. Uh, we have the former acting director of the CIA, John McLaughlin. We have retired restaurateur who had ran the best Italian restaurant in DC for 30 years, uh, Savino Racine. Uh, we have a uh, private chef and concierge, Rahan Jackson, who is just a genius sleight of hand artist. Um, we have a retired oncologist, Krishan Matur. Uh, and we just have this kind of bizarre group of musketeers that does magic. It's kind of like bowling night for magicians. And we have a great time. And it's the best deal in D.C. because you get drinks, hors d'oeuvres, dinner, a show, and you get to see seven or eight magicians. And it's less than the price of drinks alone would be in D.C. for an evening. So, yeah, go to WashingtonMagic.com, join the email list. And I will be building a coaching email list and a coaching newsletter uh, here in the, in the uh, very, very near future. So, again, if you're interested in this kind of stuff uh, on a more individual level, again, I don't give, can't give individual tax investment or legal advice, can't do it. But, uh, like I say, there's a lot of territory between where most people are and where a professional would guide them. And what's interesting about what you just said, you know, that you can't give legal advice if you get some sort of advice, and this is what I tell all of my clients and all of the people who listen, you need to do your do your due diligence. So yep. you're going to need to go to the professionals who are licensed to help you with that sort of thing in your area to get that done. But finding out that you need to do that is often the very crucial first step, right? A yeah. lot of us don't think in those terms. And so having someone like Eric go, oh, and this is something you need to think about. The first time you said some of this stuff to me, I went, huh, this is something I need to be thinking about. And it changed a lot of the way I was doing business because yeah. I had been treating my art as art more than I had been treating it as business. And a conversation one night between the two of us sort of made me go, oh, yeah, this is something I need to look at. So you never know what kind of nugget you're going to get when you're listening to Eric Henning speak. So just so you well, know. I, what, I like to, what I like to tell people, and this is what I did in my investment practice, I wanted to give them the ability to ask intelligent questions when they went to see a professional. I wanted to get them to the point they knew what questions to ask and they knew mm -hmm. when they were getting good answers. And that's so important, right? So much of this is overwhelming and having it broken it down be. in some way it will make it a lot easier to handle what you need to handle. Eric, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Isolde. You know, every, anytime you need me. I love it. I love it. Yeah, well, I'm going to be calling you for next month. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he's laughing, but I'm dead serious. Uh, so we're going to see if we can make oh that God, happen. Oh, God, what have I done? <laughs> Mwahaha. All right. So just so you it's remember, <laughs> I'm never letting you go. Uh, so yeah, you've heard this, you know, Eric is amazing. You need to check him out as a, a magician. I've been to the Washington Magic Show. It's outstanding. If you're in the DC area, or if you're passing through the DC area, when one of those shows is on, 
do yourself a favor and get a ticket. I'm not affiliated with Eric other than he's a dear friend, but I'm telling you, you will love it. It's such a wonderful time. You will laugh. You'll be amazed. Just, Best just date night is. in D.C. Best date <laughs> night in D.C. And you can even go solo. Thank you very much. Even if you. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> you, can, you can bring a significant other, but you can also go with friends or by yourself and you will have a lovely time. I do need to tell you this. While Eric Henning teaches general principles of money and does individual business coaching, he cannot and does not provide investment tax or legal advice. Please consult a professional licensed in your place of residence for specific tax, legal or investment advice. You need to know that first, last, and always. But I do hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Once again, Eric, thank you so much for being here. This is Isolde Trachtenberg for the Creative Solutions Podcast, reminding you, as always, to leave it better than you found it. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Please subscribe to the show if you're new, and it would mean the world to me if you told a friend about it. Today's episode was produced by Isolde Trachtenberg and is copyright 2024. As always, please remember this is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Past performance does not guarantee future results, although we can always hope.